I'd like to again welcome you to the services tonight and thank you for your attendance tonight. The weather is pretty uh, interesting out there. We don't see a lot of snow down in Beaumont, down on the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm all right with that, by the way. Uh, I've had my share of driving in it from time to time, and I'm not good at it, so I'll just soon not have it. Glad that you're here. We've had a good week and had a lot of good chances to visit with the brethren and study together, and we made some visits this week and enjoyed the time that's been spent here. I've enjoyed being here, and I'm glad you're here tonight. We're going to talk about children tonight. Actually, we're going to talk about training children. Now, the title of the lesson is Train Up a Child. You know, when you think about children, they are a gift from God. Children bring us a lot of pleasure. And it's not just because we like them a lot that they're a gift from God. They really are a gift from God. And I do like them a lot. I like grandbabies even better. But uh, I shouldn't say that, I guess. But I uh, um, do have one grandbaby. We enjoy her a lot. She's two years old and have a lot of fun with her. So in this crowd tonight, we've got people that are young people. We've got kids. We've got Young adults, college people, people that are married, people that are not married, people that are parents, people that are grandparents, people that are great-grandparents, more than likely. So we've all got a, a vested interest in children. We've all got some type of connection with them. And you might say, well, yeah, I do, but uh, I, you know, not a close connection. Well, you might think about that for a minute. Because you may be an aunt or an uncle, you may be somebody that is special to a child in your life. Children are a gift from God. In Genesis 4 and 1, the Bible says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, Adam knew where this baby came from. It was a gift from God. And they are a blessing. We're going to talk tonight about Training up a child. That's where we got to, the title was from Proverbs 22 and 6 where it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Training. Now, I've had a good dose of training through my lifetime. Uh, not just public school and all that. I was in a, in a job that, that required training, ongoing training, and, and it's an organized effort. It's a planned activity to take you from some place in your life and bring you to another. Training has a purpose. And that is to achieve the ultimate goal that you're looking for. To be able to do something. So when we talk about training a child, we're talking about taking a child and molding that child into someone that loves God, knows God's will, and serves God all the days of his life. Train up a child. Now, I want to talk for a minute about how I got the idea for this lesson. I listen to talk radio, and there's a lady that comes on. She's a nationally syndicated talk show call-in type host, Kim Commando. She's a computer lady. And if your computer's on the blink and you don't know what to do about it, I guess you can call and she'll tell you what to do. I don't listen to it a bunch, but what I did do was I heard an advertisement on the radio for the Kim Commando Show, tune in KLVI 560 AM on such and such time and date, and you'll hear her. 
And they played, as they do sometimes, they played a caller that had called in. And a lady was on the phone with Kim Commando, and she wanted to know how she could program her computer at home where she could limit the access that her child has to certain websites, but she didn't want her child to know anything about it. And I thought about that for a minute. And I thought about the fact that, you know, that's probably a pretty good idea to program your computer so that, that your children cannot get onto an objectable, <laughs> a bad website. Can't see that. There's a lot of bad stuff on the computer, no doubt. I mean, we'd all agree to that. If you know anything about a computer, you know that you can accidentally stumble into some areas that you really don't want to be. And this lady wanted to know how to cure that, but she didn't. what the problem was, in my estimation, was the fact that she didn't want her child to know about it. And I thought, why are you hiding that? That's an honorable thing to do. But you know, in our society, too many times people want to be a friend with their child. They don't want to cross their child. They don't want to confront their child. They don't want to set a standard with their child. Because if they do, then they've got a conflict on their hands. And that might not be good. Well, you know, it may not be good. And I'm not saying that I would ever want conflict. But we have to set a standard for our children. We have to set guidelines and we have to establish goals of, act, of outcome. Where do we want to be with this child when they become an adult? And I don't think we need to hide that from a child. I think we need to be up front with it. So, this lesson is about your God-given responsibility to raise a child. That is the subject. The importance of a godly home and how that plays into a child being raised to be a godly person. The importance of godly discipline. Now I want to make, and I'll probably say this again, I'm not talking about beating children to the point of child abuse. We will talk about spanking. I'm talking about godly discipline. The importance of godly examples that you said in your life that a child sees. The opportunities that you have and I have to set the examples that we need to set for these children. And then also techniques for communicating God's plan to your children. I don't think it'd be fair to point out all those things, do you? Would it be fair to try to just say, well, this is what's wrong and you need to do better? And then you walk out of here saying, well, yeah, I do need to, but what are some of the things I can do? We're going to go over some techniques. This is going to be one that you can take something home with you. Now, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I can say one thing. God gives us a plan to raise children. He gives us an idea, and He gives us opportunity to do the things that we need to do to raise kids in the right way. To raise them to be God-fearing people. So, whose job is that? Now, they need to be raised. We've, we've got that well established. Whose job is it to train that child? Well, is it society's job to spiritually train up that child? Is it society's job to publish enough books, our government? or And you say, no, that's ridiculous. You don't want to leave that to the government. Goodness. Why in the world would you want to do that? They can't do anything else. 
Seem like in the right way. Grandparents? Parents, should you leave that job of raising your children and setting the examples that you need to set for, to, for them by the grandparents or great-grandparents? Is it their job? Is it their primary job? The church? Is it, a, is it the job of the church to train your children? Now, I think the church certainly has got a role in that. But whose responsibility is that? Well, what about the elders? Is it the job and duty of the elders to design a program that will train our children to be godly people? Now, they may oversee some things, and they may have a, a hand in some things, and the church as a whole might be contributing to that, but whose job is it? You know, it kind of sounds ridiculous when you think about Ephesians 6 and 4. The Bible's clear. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here clearly, the responsibility is set to the parents. It's our responsibility as parents, I'm beyond that, I'm now in the grandparents mode, to raise that child. And from the Scripture we see that's where that responsibility is. As parents... Now, you know, the grandparents are in on that too. And we'll talk about some other things here in a minute about that. But Let's look at see, and see what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 5. We're going to pull out something here. Here he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Now, Craig and I were discussing that today. Unfeigned means genuine so Paul tells Timothy, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Now Paul was able to see that genuine faith that grandma had and that mama had. And that Timothy had. And where do you think Timothy got that? I think it's a valid question. I think that scripture tells us right there that they got it from the right place. They didn't get it from society. They didn't get it from some organized something or another. Where do you think Timothy earned, learned that faith? Where do you think he did? He heard it from, the, from his parents or from his mother and his grandmother. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing God's Word, right? Been well established. We talked about it this week. If we want more faith, then we need to study God's Word. That's where we're going to get it from. That's where Timothy had it. He heard the Word of God. He had that faith. And Paul saw that in his life. Now, what about discipline? What about discipline? We... See that the parents are charged with the responsibility of raising a child, but they're also charged with the responsibility of correcting a child. Because anytime we train someone, I, you know, if you're on a job and, and you maybe a new job, and they give you the manual and you read the manual and you start to do the duty and somebody's there with you, a mentor or whatever they're going to call a training person or whatever, they're going to be looking over your work and say, now wait a minute, 
You need to do that differently. You know, if you do that too many times, you might be disciplined. <laughs> so who does have the God-given responsibility to discipline a child? You know, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. I had a discussion with my daughter Kayla not long ago. And, of course, she's got that two-year-old, and that two-year-old is, I told her, I said, Kayla, Kelsey, that's her name, Kelsey's doing her job. What? <laughs> Kelsey's doing her job because the Scripture says that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. She's doing what she is going to do at two years old. That is a no-brainer. She said, Dad, it just seemed like I'm correcting her all the time, you know. I'm just continually doing that. I said, yes, ma'am, you are, and you should, and don't give up because it's your responsibility. It's her nature to have foolishness in her heart, and it's your duty to correct her. I'll tell you about my dad. My dad's name was Jack Hicklin, and he knew how to correct kids. <laughs> he knew quite well how to get that done. He was... Never schooled in it, I doubt, other than maybe with his parents. But I can guarantee you one thing. I understood quite clearly the message that he communicated to me. You ever hear somebody say, don't do that? Now, Bobby, don't do that. And, and that goes on for a while. And then all of a sudden they go to counting. One, two. I'm telling you, don't do that again. You know, they hardly ever even get to three, but they for sure don't do anything about it a lot of times. I wouldn't mind the one, two, three thing if there was a conclusion at the end of it. But there rarely is. Well, I'm going to tell you, Jack Hicklin didn't know a thing in the world about one, two, three. He said it, you did it, or I got it, I guess. That would be the next thing. And it was pretty clear. If he said to do something, I pretty well better do it or I knew what was coming. He didn't do the countdown and all that. And he was good to me. I, I'm telling you, he uh, was a good dad. I miss him. He's gone. You know, another thing he didn't know about was time out. Now, I want to say, uh, I know the moms might be saying, now, wait a minute, I use a little time out every now and then. That's fine. Don't mind that. That's, I'm, you know, I know that's part of the plan, but my dad didn't know anything about time out. And the only thing I would say about time out is it's got to be part of the plan, but it can't be the only thing you do. There's going to be times when you're going to have to go back to the Bible. That rod of correction. It seems like our society is really opposed to that now. You know, we've got all kinds of people that say all kinds of things about that. They talk about, you know, in Texas, you know, well, they don't say Texas. You know you can't spank your children anymore. They'll say that. You hear people say that. You know you can't spank your children. If you're out at Walmart and you spank your child, you're going to get in trouble. They're going to call the police and all this, that, and the other. Well, let me say this. In Texas, you can spank your children. It's legal to do that. Under the assault statute in the state of Texas, statutes, it is a defense to the prosecution that a child is being disciplined by their parent or guardian or someone else. What, who's the someone else? Someone else could be the school. Yes, school can give licks. And where my wife teaches, they do that. She teaches kindergarten. She, they call them pops, you know, and they 
get a couple of pops or whatever. We got licks when I was in school, believe me. And we remembered them. And you know what? I, I, don't, I can't identify one physical thing that's caused me any harm over that. I, I, don't, I mean, I can't see where it happened. Some of the guys that did, some of the coaches generally that did that are some of the, my most well-respected men in my life. I remember my shop teacher, Lester Youngblood, dead and gone, good guy. I got a lick in his class because I unplugged the sanding machine and he was sanding on, a, on his own project while we were in wood shop. I got a lick for that. That didn't kill me. And in Texas, that's legal. And yes, you can spank your children at Walmart. You may get an earful by somebody that don't like that, but you can. Now, again, I want to say that we're not talking about child abuse. We're not talking about harming a child with physical activity. In fact, I want to talk about child abuse. Again, we're not talking about physical harm to a child, but I'm going to tell you this. If you don't spank your child, that's child abuse. If you've taken a position, I'm not going to spank my children, we'll not have that kind of activity in our house. Where do I get that from? Well, right there in Proverbs 22 and 15. What about Proverbs 13 and 24? He that spareth his, his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. This is God's plan. God knows what you need to do in your family. And all I'm really saying in this is I don't think that we can take a position that we're not ever going to do that. It may be limited activity. Some children don't need that very much. I kind of had one that did and one that didn't. So I know there's differences in children. And if you raise children and, and more than one of them, you're probably saying, yeah, I know. I, I had one that needed it a bunch and one of them that didn't. But failure to do that, failure to correct goes against God's Word. Proverbs 22, 13, and 14, Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. What do you want to do with that child? What do you want to do with that child? Do you want to deliver his soul from hell? Now, that's some pretty graphic language. I understand the Scripture uh, uses the word beateth. But it's using it in the context of spanking and not child abuse. Other versions use different descriptions of that striking a child, but the message is here that thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. Clearly, a child cannot raise himself, it can't happen. Way back in Proverbs in 29.15 it said, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now when I was working, and I told several of you that I was in law enforcement. I was law enforcement 35 years. I've seen a lot of mothers brought to shame. And it's sad to sit there and talk to those mothers who are having to come after their children. I know women now that have grown children in the penitentiary and they travel to go see them and they want me to write them letters and I do. 
I'm going to tell you, these, are, these women are in the church. And these people that I'm talking about are members of the church that have went astray. It's sad. It happens. Now, I don't know what all went on in their life. I don't know why that all went like that. But I do know what the Scripture says. And clearly, a child cannot raise herself. The Bible puts the parents in charge. That's a, a concept that, that blends and falls over into different areas of our spiritual life even. Now I want to talk about the qualities, one of the qualities of an elder right now. And we're not talking about elders. Except to the point that I want to point this out, that even when it comes to the leaders in the church, this is an important thing. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 and 4, it says a bishop, and that means an elder, then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, no greedy, not greedy of filthy lucre, that's money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. You know, as we think about the men that are designated and are chosen by a congregation to, to lead them in the office of an elder, this is very, very important. It, it's one of the key ingredients. One that ruleth his own house. Why is that? Because it shows the quality that a parent possesses in that role. It's important to God. It's important to each one of us. Whether you ever become an elder or, or not, the God-given responsibility is there, and that is to raise those children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The godly man is in charge. But you know, that's not what society tells us sometimes, is it? You know, if we listen to all the chatter of all the talk show people, Dr. Phil, and I guess, I don't know, I don't, Dr. Phil might be different, I don't know. He seems to be cut a little different than maybe some of them. But you watch some of the daytime people that know, have got all the answers to life, and what are they going to tell you? They'll tell you a variety of different things. They may even tell you, you know, you need to be a friend with your child. Um, when I was working, we had a detective that was named Daryl Bush. And he had a man in his office one time, and that man's son was in very much trouble, a bunch of trouble. And Detective Bush was telling him, he said, you need to do this, you need to do that. And the man said, Detective, you don't understand. Nowadays, you've got to get along with these kids. <coughs> now, I'm going to tell you something about Detective Bush. His dad was named Joe Bush, and I knew Joe Bush. And Joe Bush was Jack Hickman's friend. You know where I'm going. Because Daryl Bush and I were raised, not really together, but knowing each other through the years. He wound up being my chief of police. And I knew Joe Bush. And Joe Bush had an outlook on discipline about like Dad did. And here's what Detective Bush told that man. I thought it was great. He said, sir, I'm going to tell you something. When I was a kid... 
It was my job to get along with my dad, not my dad's job to get along with me. Now you need to let that soak in. You're not a friend. You're a parent. God doesn't tell you to become friends with your child. He tells you to raise your children. And if they don't do what you say, God tells you to correct your children. And it's not nice. And we don't like it. And you may do that and have to go in a bedroom away from the child and cry about that. But it is your responsibility. Godly parents have to take charge. Well, what about a child that's, that grows up and just won't conform? And that happens. Proverbs 28 and 7. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous men shameth his father. Now, when I look at that, I'm looking at somebody that's grown. Because a, a person to, gets to the point that can keep companion with righteous men tells me it's maybe an older person and they're not doing the right thing. And you know what? That happens sometimes. Your job is to do what God tells you to do. And there may be a point when we have children that go astray on their own, and if they do, then they have. Proverbs 30 and 11. There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. We're going to have some people that do that in adulthood. And it's unfortunate. We hate that. We pray for them. We hope that doesn't happen. But it does not relieve our responsibility to raise children. The shame is on them. So what have we learned so far? What have we learned so far? Well, we've learned that, obviously, raising kids is, is a parent's job. And discipline's a parent's job. But what finishes the process out? What finishes out all of that? If you've identified what you're supposed to do, and you're doing it, there may be another element. Is there? Yes. That's our example. The example that we set. What they see in us. Because, you know, we can tell people what to do all day long. But unless they see that in us, unless you ground it with them, then it's just something you told them. It's just something that you said. If they don't see the Lord in you, how are they going to see the Lord? How will they do that? What do we teach our children or grandchildren or maybe even great-grandchildren? Do we teach them that it's okay to hate people if we've been wronged? Is it okay to talk bad about people if we're mad at them? Is it okay to be rude to the lady at the grocery store because she didn't do our grocery bill right? What do we teach our children when they hear the wrong things from us and see the wrong things from us and maybe... You know, people sometimes go to a show or a carnival or whatever and children under 12 get, get in free and we may even see somebody ahead of us and they may have a child that's obviously not under 12 but they say they are. What do you think people are training their, child, their children to do? What about when you're walking down the mall or something and somebody pulls the keys out of their pocket and a dollar bill drops on the on the ground. Do we pick it up and laugh and stick it in our pocket? 
What do our children see in us? Our grandchildren. What are they seeing? What are the messages? Well, we're telling them, we're bringing them to church, we're telling them all this stuff, but if our life doesn't complement that, then we had not done anything. We had not done anything. And you know how it is when somebody tells you something and it doesn't happen. You know it's, it's just might as well not even be told. Really, it's worse, I believe. How do we look to our children? Do we look like honest people? Do we teach our children about forgiveness? Do we exercise forgiveness but only when we want to or the people we like? Or maybe we can't let something go and we continually say something about that. So do we hold a grudge? What about lifestyle patterns? The language that's used in the home. The movies that are watched in the home. What pattern do you set for your family in the area of helping others. What examples do you set in the, in the pattern of church attendance? Or giving? Or personal sacrifice? Or how important are the souls of others to you and your family? What do your children see when they get in this area? How important is that to you that the work of the church goes on? And what do your children see about that? It's important to God. In Proverbs 22 and 1, God's Word says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Our name and what we mean to the world and to our children and to everyone around us is precious. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 20, Wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And we look at that all the time, don't we? We look at that scripture right there and it's true. And we need to take that and plant that deep in our heart because by our fruits we will be known. And you know what else? By your fruits you shall be known by your children. By your fruits, you shall be known by your grandchildren. By your fruits, you shall be known to your nieces and nephews. Ah. What about that? Now we're off in an area pretty different, huh? I want you to think about your favorite uncle right now about who that was. Think for just a minute. Put that in your mind. Who your favorite uncle was. Do you remember how much you respected him? And then your favorite aunt. you remember how much you loved her? She was just like, it seemed like she was another grandma, you know. And what she said and what she did was very important to you. And what she would advocate and what she would stand against was something that was very important to you. When you were small, these were key people in your life. Well, you know what? You're that person. You. You're that person because you're special to someone. And you might think, well, I'm not special to no one. Yes, you are. You may be sitting there and you don't have any children. Or maybe you've got a ton of grandkids, but you've got, still got some nie nieces and nephews. 
that you're special to. You see, this example thing stretches a lot further, I think, than we believe it does. What example are we setting? I think we're setting a tremendous example. It's even true for our children. They set examples too. In Proverbs 20 and 11, it says, even, as, even a child is known by his doing, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. So how do we communicate these God-given responsibilities to children? Well, Scripture says train up. Train up, we talked about that. And that must be a conscious effort and a planned mission. Something you think about. But how do you do that? Well, the first thing you do is pray about it. It's got to start here. James 1 and 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. You know, you may be sitting there as a parent, maybe a young parent, or maybe getting ready to be a parent, or whatever, and you say, you know, I just I hope I get all of this right. <laughs> I hope. You know, Moses, we talked about Moses earlier in the week when, when he kind of argued with God, you know, God wanted him to do this, and he said, I'm really not the right guy for all that. And They went back and forth for a while, and finally Moses realizes it's not me, it's going to be God. Let's, let's call on some help on this one. Let's pray about it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberty, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Does the Scripture say it might be given to you? Does the Scripture say, well, you know, most of the time it's given to you? The Scripture says it will be given to you. It will be. We have an assurance there that we've got all the help we need. But we're going to have to pray about it. What else? We're going to have to study. We're going to have to know God's Word. And we're going to have to teach God's Word with Scripture and example. Training your children with Scripture and that backup example. We need to know God's Word to be able to teach it, so we're going to have to study it. And use opportunity as it comes to you. You're going to have opportunity. I think you can make opportunity, but you can certainly use opportunity as it comes to you. Attend church. That's, that's where it our opportunity begins because we have such an opportunity to do that. Earlier in the week I was talking about when we had one of the hurricanes blow through and I didn't have any place to go to church. There was no place, no place to go to church. That was such an empty feeling. And I remember that quite well. In fact, I probably calculate the date. September the 26th, I think, 2005, Sunday. No place to go to church. That was an empty feeling. Have you ever had that? Well, maybe you haven't. And I hope you don't. But you've got an opportunity to attend church and bring those kids. Attend gospel meetings and singing. We've got a lot of people in this room tonight that are from other congregations, and we thank you for that. God bless you for it. You came to support this meeting, and the congregation here thanks you. I thank you. But these little guys in this audience... They know you're visiting here. And they appreciate it too. They don't know that yet. They will. Participate in church activities. There's all kinds of things that you can do and participate in with your children. Invite church members into your home. 
I told you we was going to take, give you some things you can take home. These are things you can take home right here. These are the things you can do. These are remedies. These are suggestions. These are things you can do. Invite church members in your home. Well, you know, I, I don't, I'm not really comfortable with that. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> really, some of the greatest times we've had raising our kids and having, and all the time that they were young and all that. And, and I know we, we, there was a time when we didn't have a place that was adequate for that, but then there was, and, and we did. And we had a ball doing that. Invite church members in your home. It gives you a special fellowship that you can't get any other way. It really does. 1 Peter 4 and 9, the Bible says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Use hospitality. We always think, or I always think of that, you know, that we're, yeah, you know, we're going to do that, and um, that's going to help those guys that come into our home. What about your own family? What's the other things you can do? Just some things within the home now. We're talking about training children. What can we do? Eat family meals together. Now, I can't give you all the research data on that and all this, and, but there's some people that have done some research on that, and people that eat their meals together have a lot less problems in their home. Why is that? You think it's magic, the food's better, or what? No, it's not. It's not that. It's an opportunity for you to come together at the end of the day, discuss what's happened, Little Sally was at school, and she has the opportunity to tell mom and dad how that one kid did this, and she didn't think that was right, maybe. I'm just giving you an example. Those are teaching moments. Sally tells you what went wrong at school, then you have an opportunity to tell her and tell her what God would say about that, and, and we don't need to do that, do we, Sally? And seven-year-old Sally comes out of that with a Bible lesson in life. But that's hard to do when we're just going in every direction. Now, I know we did. When we did it too. You know, you got practice, you got kids and this and that and all this, that and the other, and you're not going to always be able to do that. But when you can, sit down and eat that family meal together. You'll be communicating with your family. Be creative. Find opportunities. Find opportunities to involve your children with other church children and church activities. Speak highly of the church and the leadership. Boy, this is one. If you want to do something to strengthen your children, you be positive about the church and positive about the leaders. A positive attitude is contagious. It is. If you have a positive attitude, your children will have a positive attitude. And a poor attitude is a disease that spreads. But it's just like a cancer almost. It just spreads and that poor attitude just grows. And There's a guy named Sir John Lubbock. I'm going to give you a quote that he had on positive attitude. He said, he said, what we see depends mainly on what we look for. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, life out there is the same for, not exactly the same, but it's pretty much the same for everybody. We've got normally the same opportunities and same holdbacks and, and things. We, we live in a country that's been blessed by God to have a lot of things and our outlook is something that we control we can see that glass that's half empty or half full so today we've learned about how God looks upon 
raising kids, parenting. Here's what we've learned. It's your duty to raise your children, physically and spiritually. It's the parent's duty to correct. It's our example, and we teach by that example. And our example will either be good or bad because it is an example. It's not just a good example, and then if you don't have a good example, you don't have anything else. You've got an example. The challenge is to make it good. That's the challenge. We've learned how to communicate the message to our children, how to teach them and guide them along. And, and this task is one of the most important things that we can do spiritually, but certainly the, one of the most important things that we can do for our children in the Lord's kingdom. It's teaching them, it's training them. And today's a new day, and you know, we may have had failures in the past. We may look back on things and we say, boy, I, you know, I messed that up. Don't be looking in the rearview mirror. Look out the windshield. Learn what to do. And prayerfully strive to raise these children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The lesson's yours. Thank you for your attention. I hope it's been of some service to you. If the church can help anyone by any means, we'll ask you to come forward as we sing the song that's been selected. Let us stand and sing.